I'm John. And I'm Ron. And I'm Jason. And this is Digital Divination on the No Direction Network. We're back for episode 103 of Digital Divination. Unfortunately, Jason is packing up his house, so he is unavailable this evening. I mean, the advantage of us doing this remotely is he's, sure, he's packing up and moving away, but it's not like we have to get together in person to do this, so we could look forward to seeing him again if we, as long as we can pull him electronically from uh, being further away. Oh, for sure. We'll get him. And and I think he'll have better lighting. I actually gave him one of my lights. And, <laughs> and it'll be a different room. So it'll be interesting. It'll be fun. Okay. Yeah, we yeah, we see his see his different background. Um and speaking of, you know, things that are going to be improved or cleaned up or whatever, I need to make sure I clean this out of the way and say that I'm an employee of Wizards of the Coast, <laughs> but my opinions are not theirs. They are my own. Very good. That's that's a nice segue there. So I didn't have to try to work up something. Uh, oh, thank you. How've you been, John? Uh, I, I've been busy. We got we got up to Camino this weekend, and so we have your dog dishes. Oh yeah, we left them up there when yes. we were there. We were the problem is we just didn't look down enough down. when we were making sure that we sort yeah. of had everything. So yeah, um, but uh, we were able to go up there, and then my daughter actually came down from Vancouver with a bunch of friends. Saturday night, so we took them out to dinner, and they're going to go skiing. They went skiing in Mount, up at Mount Baker. They're going to go several days because oh, even though it's the same distance from Camino to Baker as Vancouver to Baker, they avoid that whole border weight. Um, oh, yeah. So <laughs> Be- because they come down, they, because the once they're in Camino, they're like, now we can go to and from. We don't have to keep going over the border and yeah. so on. Yeah, that's and that's very and they nice. have to be done by three. 30 on the slope so they get back to Camino like at 5 30 and they can still hang out and have fun so is it because it's still because it gets so dark on the side of the mountain so soon yeah they want everybody off the mountain before it gets dark I think is they must not have lights up there and yeah, I grew. You know, where I grew up in uh, in Utah, a lot of the resorts had night skiing. Right, and right. the reason you wanted to get off the mountain is because you had to pay different. <laughs> you had to pay for the night skiing if you hadn't <laughs> yes. already. Um, and they didn't have oh. the entire. You know, they didn't have all the all the runs open. It was just a few right. of them that they had very well lit. Um, but it was fun. I went up night skiing a couple of times. Sometimes I put in the very very long day of let me get this full pass that's going to be all day long and then all night right. as well. Um. It's fun. It's been a while since we've been skiing. We've been we went down to White Pass here in Washington, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. was a lot. That was really good for my kids because it's a really good, be, a lot of good beginner slopes and good right. sort of education. Right, right. Um, so that was before the pandemic. Um, I was just going through, uh, you know, console in my car, and I'm like, oh, we've got this pass that would be good for the following year at White Pass, <laughs> and then they shut everything down. I wonder if this is yes. even good for anything anymore. Well, they might have they might have done something grandfathered it in because of that. Who knows? Yeah, they might. Uh, we'll find but, out. It's it's just been such a non winter feeling winter around here that yeah. I've got stuff in my yard that's popping up like springtime. So I'm like, maybe we don't yeah. get another good hard freeze or anything. The plants all think spring is here. 
Well, I hope so. I I enjoy the the warm weather, especially out of Camino. When we, you know on Saturday it was all sunny out, and it was just just such a lazy day laying around in the sun there. You know, so it was, it was kind of nice. We had I don't know if I mentioned that when I went up, I had a stack of kind of work I needed to get done that I was going to bring with me, and then I forgot it at home. And oh. the only thing I brought was a couple of drafts of books my brother's written that I'm reading for him. And they're just yeah. a series of fantasy novels that are fantastic. I'm yeah. excited when I'm going to be able to push those. Um, yeah. But he wanted me to do kind of a, a read for him and give him his thoughts. And that was all I'd brought with me. So I'm like, yeah, just casual, lazy day reading kind of a cool <laughs> fantasy novel with a pen in hand to kind of, you know, yeah. mark nice. stuff up. Very cool. Very cool. Well, you know, for um, today, I uh, I played some organized play. We came back on Sunday, and I hadn't played with my local lodge for a while, so I played a, a game this afternoon. And when we were getting started, one of the players was asking our, our venture captain, uh, Jocelyn, about uh, what's going to happen to Starfinder 1 characters when Starfinder 2nd Edition comes out. And uh, he was a little dismayed that basically – Everything had to start over from scratch. And it, is, uh, but start over from scratch if you want to play the new stuff, but you can play right. everything can that exists. Playing. Right. Yeah. And I told them that. I told them that, you know, you, you could keep playing. And, uh, you know, we chatted actually quite a bit afterwards. And he said, yeah, but I, I, I don't want to be left behind. I think everybody's going to be moving on. And um, which is kind of what we saw when Pathfinder first edition came out. A lot of people were a little hesitant. And then, now it's like that's the you know the folks that are playing first edition are somewhat isolated compared to second edition yeah and they're i mean it's still available i have seen like lists of stuff that's being run at conventions and i'm like oh that's like a pathfinder first edition um organized play i mean there's some people who still play that game i'm in a uh skull and shackles pathfinder first edition game and that's uh that's been kind of fun it it feels clumsy in some ways that the Pathfinder second edition rules intentionally repaired, but it's a kind of a comforting clumsiness, right? I'm like, Oh, this is going to be, <laughs> yes. this spell's totally going to break this encounter. Cause I remember yeah. this spell breaking yeah. this guy, and it doesn't break encounters anymore, but it'll be kind of cool to break this encounter when yeah. it does. Yeah. So what I was thinking that we could talk about is, uh, you know, maybe how players can, uh, can adapt to these edition changes. Cause we see Pathfinder Second Edition coming out with Remastered. We see uh, Starfinder coming out with the Starfinder Second Edition playtest, and then Second Edition. And we see D and D in your wheelhouse, you know, going from Fifth Edition to One D and D. September is this year, right? It is. And let me handle. and let me clarify: it's going from Fifth Edition to Fifth Edition. I mean, it's still staying the Fifth Edition of D and D. One D and D is the name. Yeah. Yeah, 1D&D is the name for sort of the broader penumbra of a bunch of different ways to play right. D&D, which is still the 5th edition. But uh, mm-hmm. um, I think we pushed the 1D&D name really hard without a, so maybe sufficient clarification about what we're going to do with specifically right. the tabletop game. And so right. a lot of people, I see them talking about 1D&D, and I know, I know in their hearts they mean the tabletop game, but I'm like, you, right. you're talking about something bigger than that. It's a... Uh, Right, because the VTT and they have a separate uh, yep, exactly video exactly. thing, and yeah, I've seen a bunch of that kind of coming together, but still some changes across the board, and mm-hmm. yep. some people are kind of really kind of locked into what they've have been playing for five, six, 
or more years, right? Mm-hmm. Ten years in the case for for uh, fifth edition, you know, as it sits now. Or Pathfinder first edition, it was going strong yeah. for ten years, right? That yeah. was yeah. was that eight? Ten, so I mean, a long time. Very long. Yeah, time. I I think it's they were in organized play was in its tenth season when the switchover happened. Okay. So I assumed it was ten, and so I was actually thinking that both. You know, uh, Starfinder, because Starfinder is just starting its seventh uh, season uh, going over. And then even second edition Pathfinders will be starting its sixth season mm-hmm. and is going to remaster. Those are those time frames are, have tightened up a little bit. Yeah, they have. And that's uh, and that's going to vary a lot based on the game. I saw that later this summer, Ars Magica is doing sort of a rules refresh. Um, unlike the change from Starfinder first edition to Starfinder second edition, where it's really a new game. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of games are doing this uh, uh, incremental changes to preserve backward compatibility. Uh, right. And there's some good marketing reasons for that. There's some good play reasons for that, but that's what Pathfinder second edition is doing with the remaster. It's what fifth edition is doing with fifth edition. Um, and it's what Ars Magica is doing, sort of compiling a lot of stuff here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there's a, uh, a sort of a healthy skepticism that people have when they hear the words backward compatibility. Right. Um, and that's, and that's fair. I think that if you had looked between 3.5 edition D and D and Pathfinder first edition, which was billed as backward compatible, right. it is only backward compatible in the most technical sense, because as soon as Pathfinder first edition got its advanced players guide, and it introduced traits and it introduced archetype and stuff like, I mean, it's just the game itself used the same engine, but it just did so many awesome things with it that it felt mm-hmm. really dated to play the earlier version rather than the newer version. And I feel like we've already seen for, for fifth edition D and D, you know, some of the new classes are going to have some, you know, very appealing new architecture right. and abilities. Um, the remaster, the way it's reworked some of the classes that seemed, didn't seem to work so well last time. I haven't, really dug into the changes for the witch necessarily, but I know that uh, the player core two is going to have the champion and the sorcerer coming as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think that even being able to play the older versions, the intent is look, we've, we've been able to preserve these within, they work within the rules, but you're going to want to be playing the newer version. They're going to be kind right. of, you know, sort of neater, better. Um, yeah, I think, it's... so I think that's worth keeping in mind is the difference between those mm-hmm. things that are, here's a change that's going to happen and nothing you have is going to work versus here's a change that's going to happen and everything you have is going to work, but maybe some things will work better. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I was actually thinking about, um, you, you mentioned about remastered in, in second edition. It's like one of the things, so we're running a fist of the Ruby Phoenix campaign and that was written in the Pathfinder second edition and we haven't really brought out the remastered rules because so much of what's already in the adventure is set with the rules from second edition. Things like things like alignment that get tossed out and everything, you know, they're pretty uh, you know broadly highlighted there. So it's not the kind of it, it would be a be more work for me as a as a novice second edition GM to, to try to change it up. And I can see other people if they're running old adventures that maybe they wouldn't adopt all the new stuff or maybe adopt certain pieces of it with starfinder going over that's that'll be impossible right you 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 could you would have to convert from 
Starfinder first edition to second edition. And in all likelihood, the second edition stuff, especially the game mechanics that they um, kind of demonstrated already, is going to be way cooler anyway. So it'll be uh, maybe you don't want to do that. Well, and then let me let me get back to this this you know person you talked to who asked the question. Hey, as a player, what yeah. do I do? Um, let me. I can give you two. Uh, you know, let me give you two very unhelpful answers to that. Um, <laughs> and one of them is very unhelpful because it's well. Look, if you're playing in a bunch of campaigns, just play in one that is the new rules, and you can keep playing in the old one as well if you want to. Yeah. But that assumes people have the flexibility and the ability to do so. Somebody who's just a player, they kind of have to go along with what the group says, and mm-hmm. in a lot of mm-hmm. cases, the group has to go along with what the GM says. And so if the GM is very excited about moving from Pathfinder 2nd Edition to the remaster set of the rules, um, then the players kind of don't, in fact, have very much choice in the matters. They, can, they don't have the decision to be, oh, well, I'm going to enter this, you know, join this new game that uses the remaster, but all my uh, pre-remaster stuff is going to continue to happen. In the old game. You know, they might not be able to have that. So that's... That's why that necessarily isn't very helpful. Uh, the the other not particularly helpful answer is just finish up the campaign you're in and yeah. then start the next one with the updated version of the rules that you want to play. The reason that's not very helpful is because some people get very attached to some very long-running games. And they're like, you're telling right. me just bring my five-year campaign to a sudden and abrupt closure? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, maybe take a year to do it. Well, that still can feel like a sudden and <laughs> yes. abrupt closure if you've been yeah, playing it for five yeah. years, right? So yeah. that's maybe not helpful either. So I guess the way to maybe push that conversation back is to say, is to really focus on the fact we're saying, what do you do if your campaign that of choice that you prefer is having an update and you're you're going to be going along with it, you know, one way or another? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's kind of it didn't even occur to me quite frankly when you mentioned this that there would be any issue moving to Starfinder second edition because you know even though I've run hundreds of games in Starfinder and you know got a five Nova status and stuff and I'll have to start from scratch if I want to do that in second edition I'm just excited for second edition and you know and I have a huge sunk cost in first edition yeah we can see it right behind you there and it's like well you know um. That's okay. I I enjoyed those books. You know, it, I was um I I saw this uh, quote earlier uh, earlier actually I think this weekend um, where it's like don't be don't don't be sad about the things you've lost. You know, don't you know don't cry about the things you've you know that have gone by like that. Just smile and remember the good times you had for them. So it's the idea that you know you experience a lot of fun going through these things. Mm-hmm. And even if you choose to go on, even though it's something new, you still have that, those memories and that fun and that adventure and that those stories are still there. What's really changing is just kind of the mechanics of, of what you're doing. And you can, you know, kind of recreate a lot of those same stories with that same group in a new system, if you want even. Yeah. I mean, or not. One of the things that you, I mean, one of the things you can do is have a yeah. conversation with the system. And I know there yeah. are people who are playing the original Dungeons and Dragons or second mm-hmm. edition or 3.5, you know, that Paizo put out because they haven't, they've got a sunk cost into those. Uh, yeah. The Skull and Shackles game that I have, you know, the 
the GM is perfectly willing to learn Pathfinder 2nd Edition, but he's like, I'm not going to really devote a lot of time to it because I've got so much of this old catalog of stuff, right? Yeah. So he's not going anywhere. Um, there, I mean, there are people who are going to be experiencing the older system. It's not being taken away from anybody. Right. And so it's certainly available to be used um, over and over for years and years and years if you want to. Um, but mm-hmm. for somebody who is sort of being dragged along with it. This is something that happened to me, you know, a couple of times I was, I was, uh, excited and early adopter for a lot of games, a lot of different editions of D and I'm like, Oh, fourth edition. That's going to be very, very exciting. <laughs> I was very excited about that. I was playing that as soon as, as recently as last year, I was playing fourth edition, um, with friends, but there were, you know, long after I think people had since moved on. Um, but there are still people who play older editions of the game, but it has happened to me from time to time, where a new rule set is coming and I'm just, look, I'm just not interested in adopting it. And I have to be honest Mm -hmm. saying the remaster for Pathfinder second edition is one of those because I'm running, you know, you're, you mentioned that you're running fists of the Ruby Phoenix. I'm not quite halfway through strength of thousands. And the idea, which is very, very wizard heavy uh, (laughs) and wizards change a lot. And the remaster like, look, rather, rather than navigate that, I'm I'm sticking with the original, mm-hmm. you know, can we can we use a different term for, you know, being um, you know, flat-footed, sure, right? Um but but we also don't have to, right? We can just keep doing what we're doing. Um so that puts it kind of on the other side of things where somebody's like, "Hey, this as a player, this is a new exciting thing." You know, but my group isn't yet going along with it, right? It's the other right. side of that same question, right? In one hand, I'm being, you know, I'm being pushed into changing the system that I that I like playing. To wait, I'm I'm not, I'm not graduating into the system I'd prefer to be playing the new thing. Right. Um, right. A lot of it really comes down to the social contract with the group that you have. Talk to mm-hmm. the people that mm-hmm. you play with about what you like, what you want, what you don't like. Um, I think that people don't spend enough time, and this is something that I like to do at the close of each of the books, because there's some real natural stopping points in Strength of Thousands, is just kind of a check-in. You know, hey, are we liking this? Mm. Are we liking the campaign as it's being run? Are we? Do we like the rules as they're being run? Um, and then being open to a discussion, invite the uh, you know all the players to have yeah. their opinion. And a lot of them are like, I don't want to change anything. I just I spent so much time learning this. I don't want to change to yeah. something else. Um, but, uh, if you're the sort of person who wants to be trying sort of a new iteration of something or an, in, or an entirely new system of the same game, the way Starfinder first edition is going to Starfinder second edition, mm-hmm. then the conversation with your group is the important thing there, I think. Yeah. And I, I think we're fortunate in that we play with a mix of people and different groups. I play with you a lot, but I also play with some other folks mm-hmm. and, I can get a taste of a bunch of different systems and see what I like, what I don't like, and what's changed, what's new. And and I so for me, it it doesn't seem so cumbersome to have to change to something mm-hmm. if that's what a group decides to do. Because oh, I'm playing with a group over here that's already done that, or here's a group that is not changing anything, or they're doing something completely different. Um, but it is a it is funny though when we're at the table and and this happens. This happened, I think, uh, last Wednesday. I was trying to remember a term for something, 
And I was mixing up three different systems, right? You know, for, <laughs> for the term. What is, I, and I could not, I, I didn't know which one was right. <laughs> you know, so it's just, uh, as long as people are, are happy to point out the correct term, then uh, it's okay. <laughs> well, well, yes. You know, and I've got, what is, I'm currently, in my mind, I think I, I mean, I've got to keep, I think six different systems together. I think I'm current, the games I'm in span six different systems. And yeah. so, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not going to remember in, in which one is it an opportunity attack and in which one is yes. it an attack of opportunity and in which one does it not actually matter because that's not a thing that happens in this game. Right, right, right. Yeah. So it's, uh, but I think we're, you know, for a lot of players, especially the one I was talking to, um, he, he just plays organized play. I mean, he's not, he's, uh, he's played maybe some short adventures, but for the most part, it's, you know, weekly organized play with a lot of the same people, mm -hmm. um, you know, but he's not doing a whole lot of other games. And so I think that's where he's feeling like, you know, I've committed so much to these, these, these characters I have in the system. It'll be very strange for him just to give that up. And, and he doesn't even jam a lot. So it's not like he's losing any of those credits. And when, First edition went to second edition. I think there for was some opportunity. Yeah, there was some opportunity for crossover of um, achievement points or something. I, I vaguely recall whatever the credits were at the time. Yeah, and yeah. If you were doing org play and switch, so um, yeah. So yeah, and that's not and that's not unusual. There are a lot of people mm -hmm. who are getting together socially first and to play a game right. second. And if you've been hanging out with the same group of people to play a game for, you know, every, every Monday night for the past, you know, you know, nine, 12, 15, 20 years, yeah. you know, it, it's not easy to tell that person, would you go play something else with another group of people? Right. That's, that's a non-starter yeah, for what it is they want to do. That's tough. Well, I've not played, like you've played in uh, groups where you've, had folks for 20 years, right? Um, yeah, they've got the, the every other Friday Torg Eternity group I have yeah. is almost entirely other people I played with when I was in high school and in my first couple of years of college. So, but it's, it's not been a continuous 20 years or has it? It has not been a con, oh gosh, I don't know. I, I don't know how <laughs> the biggest breaks have been a few yeah. years, but not, yeah. yeah not a long period of time. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, we have, and this is something I know a lot of people don't have. We've got some flexibility in moving around from game system to game system, from GM to GM. So somebody who's right. running our main GM, who's running, um, Torg Eternity occasionally will want a break and somebody else will, well, let me step in. Cause this Starfinder or this, uh, uh, excuse me, spell jammer, box set looks really cool. And, oh, you know, I looked at the adventure. I didn't like the adventure so much, but the setting's really cool. So I'm just going to spin off this totally unrelated story to the adventure yeah. about a stuff that goes, I mean, it's, and then we move into that. And then because we get together with this same group and every one of us also plays with other people, right. um, it's kind of funny sometimes that some of the other things they've done, you know, the other groups that each of us are in, kind of spokes on a wheel, right? Where we, we suddenly mention, um, I know some of the players play a whole lot of, uh, Savage Worlds and I played some right. Savage Worlds. I really like it. I've got, I think I've got some of it right on my shelf back here. Um, 
but it's been years and years since I played it. Um, whereas I was mentioning to one of the other players, um, fifth edition, the wild beyond the witch light, um, adventure, which is kind of the whimsical fairy one. And she's like, yeah, I've, I've played that two and a half times already. Like the campaign is so fun that I played wow. it with one group and we finished it. And then I played it with a whole different group with a different character and we finished it. And I'm about to like get to the midpoint of the second run of it. I'm like, wow. I, I had no idea. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. But, but the thing that keeps us together is the games that we're playing that we kind of switch on. And whenever those get updated, it becomes uh, something that we, you know, that we decide whether or not we're going right. to, we could keep playing uh Torg as it was in the nineties, but we've, we've all kind of gotten together for the new edition of Torg, which is a little mm-hmm. bit, we quite a bit more like the jump between Starfinder first edition and Starfinder second edition in that it is, thematically very similar the feel of the game is similar but the mechanics don't really translate over it's not backward compatible Mm -hmm. right right well i think one advantage that starfinder second edition is going to have is its cross compatibility with pathfinder second edition and probably with remastered you know Mm -hmm. by extension in that there's a lot of starfinder players who play pathfinder second edition now and there's a lot of second edition players who haven't played Starfinder because it's too different from mm-hmm. second edition. So I'm hoping that kind of seeds enough players are interested in, in trying and going with it that it'll pick up steam pretty quickly. I think that's likely. One of the ways that it'll pick up steam pretty quickly, I'm I'm willing to bet, is the third-party content creators. Because it would be very difficult to do immediate third-party content creation for Pathfinder 2nd Edition because it was just so new. But Mm -hmm. if you're going to assume that Starfinder is going to have a lot of the same rules as... Starfinder 2nd Edition is going to have a lot of the same rules as Pathfinder 2nd Edition, you can build encounters and determine treasure and, you know, kind of know the narrative beats that Starfinder first edition has that are going to carry through and be more ready to go, you know, day one when they start opening that for Starfinder second edition. What that means as a player, as a GM and a player is you'll have an incredibly wide selection of ways to expand the game and it will feel more robust right out of the gate than a lot of the games, a lot of, non-backward compatible games do. So backward compatible games tend to feel pretty robust right out of the gate because even if you can't use something that was 15 years before, you can use something that was the prior year or the year before that. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair point with that. And the other thing I'll say that I enjoy, and, and it's a lot of it's the same with first edition Pathfinder and second edition Pathfinder is the carryover of the lore, right? So a lot mm-hmm. of the the basic lore is there and then kind of expanded upon uh, with the newer edition. And I envision we're going to see some of that. And in fact, it's been alluded to, right, for Starfinder 2nd Edition that there'll carry over a bunch of the lore, but it'll kick off with a a big change as well. Right, right. The, and, the, and the actual change in the lore and the tone might be something that we don't see for years. I had a, mm-hmm. a, uh, a very savvy friend of mine observe that now in retrospect, there is a pretty big difference in the feel between Pathfinder 1st Edition and Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Pathfinder 1st Edition is really kind of, 
it's got kind of a horror veneer over a lot of different types of adventure. And Pathfinder 2nd Edition has sort of a a veneer of wonder over the top of a lot of things, which isn't to say there wasn't any wonder in 1st Edition. And I can't can't say there's not horror in 2nd Edition. There is. But the, the sheer number of sort of different weird things that you can do in Pathfinder 2nd Edition and let's do sort of deep cultural dives in a lot of different cultures you haven't right. seen before, that's a real sense of wonder that Pathfinder 1st Edition didn't give. Pathfinder 1st Edition had a lot of writers who were very big fans of horror of all sorts of different types. Um, you know, cosmic horror to very personal, you know, sort of, you know, slasher horror and things like that. And a lot of those things carried over into the game. So I think that the Starfinder theme thus far, the Starfinder first edition theme, although it'd be kind of hard to pin it down, I would have to say that it is, it is in variance. That is to say, I can tell lots of different types of science fiction stories. Right, um, right. And sometimes they're very different. The Dawn of Flame is a very different story than Attack of the Swarm, which is a very different story than Signal of Screams, because the game is pulling on a lot of science fiction tropes, and it's pulling those into different adventure paths and different sort of ways to build the game. I don't, I think that as established as Starfinder is now, Starfinder 2nd Edition might not need to pull into as many tropes and be its own kind of thing that has mm-hmm. a lot of different styles of play, of course. That'd be, you know, they don't want to jettison that that option. But I think that it's probably, if I were to guess, maybe we can come back in three years and mention this. <laughs> yes. I think that, you know, like three years from now, It'll probably be people saying Pathfinder first edition felt like it was a little scattershot in trying to do a lot of different things. And it did a lot of them. Well, did some of them maybe not so well. Um, But second edition is a lot more sort of thematic hole on what goes on. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we'll see. Yeah. And I think they've, uh, you know, the team is, uh, the team has actually changed over like a hundred percent, except for, I guess, thirsty, right. From first Mm -hmm. edition. Uh, to Starfinder Second Edition, but they've a bunch of them have kind of grown with Starfinder First Edition how it's how it's developed, and it it looks like that the same themes are going to carry through. I'm, I would guess just from the folks that are um, uh, in charge of the books and the adventure paths and things, mm-hmm. um, which I enjoy, I, but. But you know, with the change of some of the folks, yeah, I don't, I don't know, because that, you know, that, yeah, there's been enough change. I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> well, there is, and there's. Let me, yeah. I, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, while I'm just, just relentlessly yeah. speculating. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I see of the change, uh, see as a change that's already kind of building in um, mm-hmm. between first and second edition, is a lot of the people who are in charge of Starfinder second edition have come up, Thirsty's an excellent example, has come up through organized play of Starfinder right. First Edition. And that matters. Right. And that matters because organized play has always been about big arcs of things that happen and how you can yeah. fit a lot of different adventures into big arcs of, big narrative arcs of things that happen. Right. Now, a lot of those narrative arcs have been constrained by the types of books they put out, right? Oh, we're doing Mm a near space book. So we've got this, you know, an arc that's going to be about, you know, near space and what happens in there, or we've got galactic magic. So we've got an arc that's specifically with a lot of, you know, sort of magic baked into it. 
But because those people are now in charge of even the, the rules supplemental books, they're thinking right. in ways that are going to make the whole arc fit with the rules you learn as well. And we've seen it. We've seen right. it kind of a little right. bit with the Drift Crisis right. as a huge arc story with a lot of narrative heft attached to it and a lot of rules that underpin it. Um, so I think we're probably going to see a lot more of that with, uh, things on the Pathfinder side, like war of the immortals being kind of a big event that comes in. I feel Mm -hmm. like the, the whole company is kind of moving in that direction. So I think we'll see a lot Mm -hmm. more of those. Um, so much so that a lot of sort of the independent kind of scattershot approach will probably still appear in adventures and maybe the occasional AP, but I think that we'll see it as the exception rather than the rule in right. Starfinder second edition. Right. Well, and you know, I, I seem to recall like with the adventure paths, one of the things they did, even though it had a, a consistent theme through it, they always had book three or four was let's throw a monkey wrench and it's going to be completely different. Right. Yeah. It was number five. About, five of six was, was always, five. let's go off to a different yeah. plane or yeah. let's go off to a different. Yeah. So do you think that would change or it's going to be kind of the same? I, I do think it will change. And the yeah. reason it's going to change is because we felt like when telling six part stories that oh, a right. theme might have started to get stale and needed a little bit of refreshing, you know, right. hey, let's let's stretch our limbs a little bit and show you something interesting we can do um, by about book five, sometimes book four. Right. right. Um, but, you know, maybe sometimes book five was was pretty typical on the Pathfinder side. But now with the willingness to accept three part or four part right. stories, I think we're going to see sort of a, a tighter cohesion there. Um, right. And I also think it's not uh, and this is this is. You know, this is Jason, the one who would be able to maybe say more about this because yes. he's the one who's actually in the company now. Yeah. But there is still some sort of difference on the Pathfinder side between the group of people who are rules people doing stuff that they want to do as rules for the game and the narrative right. people doing narrative things they want to do for the game. With Starfinder, those are all the same people. Right. And so right. if they have something that they want to do rules for because it has a big narrative lift, it's not two groups trying to talk to each other. Um, it's literally the same people. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, and actually, the adventure paths are are going to be different going it forward as well. They're going to be single books, so they'll right. still be multi part. I'm, I'm, you know, they'll still have separate authors working on different parts. But I would imagine that they'll maybe more be more integrative all the way through. I don't know. I, you know, and I think that I want to give, I want to give Paizo some, uh, uh, some latitude there as well. Yeah. The announced Starfinder adventure paths are all sort of standalone one book hardcover, I think things they're going to do, but that's only two, right? That's a sample size of two. I don't, I, you know, I'm not going to be the kind of person who locks them into that going forward when they decide, Hey, we're going to do some flexibility and maybe breaking up into, a subscription model of a multi-part is going to be better off for us. And there's a reason well, they've done that for years and years and years. It's a consistent revenue stream when you have subscribers and that lets you do a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily get when you're trying to gamble in a Hollywood blockbuster style. Is this going to be right. a big movie or is this going to be a small movie? And yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons why they went to the the whole book is because usually, you know, book number one and maybe two are big sellers, but when you get into five and six, oftentimes mm-hmm. they they weren't selling as much, and so if you bundle them all together, they were. I, I'm guessing they were 
capturing more of that, but maybe they were losing more up front because of the bigger upfront costs. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, and I and I feel like they're still kind of feeling their way with that because yeah, they haven't yeah. yet gotten to. I mean, we don't have we have um, the scoured stars in our hands, but we don't have Mechageddon in our hands, and we don't. Right. Which means right. there isn't any sort of sales data on that, right? Right. Um, right. But I do. I mean, but I trust them to deliver narrative content in a way that connects with the rules, especially on the Starfinder side when it's the same people mm-hmm. and delivers it in a way that's going to be as successful as they can make it for themselves. Um, and if that means I'm buying one big book and running an adventure out of one big book, or I'm running yeah. it out of six different books, um, then that's just fine as well. We were talking before we got on about yeah. the, uh, um, the Beetle and Grimm's set for uh, uh, Dover, the Shattered Obelisk, Fandover and Below. Um, and one of the different form factors is instead of being a, a book with the entire adventure, the Beatles and Grimm version has a lot of booklets that's, that's e- that are each individual chapter. So you take kind of whatever chapter you're in, just use that. And there, that really struck me as being, oh, well, Paizo is kind of going back and forth between these models as well. Right, do we, right. do, we yeah, do a bunch of books? one each month or every other month, or do we one do one big, you know, chunky, you know, adventure filled hardcover. Uh, well, and they're going to go back and forth as they, and as if they, they did that, you know, cause they make, well, they were making, I don't know if they do now still, you know, they made battle cards for the APs and they make, made, um, you know, pawns for the APs. Now they're not doing those anymore. You know, if they put together like, like the Fist of the Ruby Finks, I have all the individual pieces, Mm-hmm. But if if for a future AP they had all the pieces like Beetle and Grimm's had for the adventure in one place and I was going to run it, I would think really hard about just getting that the whole shooting match. I think that would be kind of a neat thing to do, rather than trying to piece it together yourself. Or in the case now, if you don't have pawns for things, having to get a bunch of minis that you you know you were going to that would fit all the monsters and creatures and NPCs you're playing against. Yeah, and I guess will people pay for that and how much will people pay for that yeah. is part of an ongoing conversation there. It certainly yeah. was when I was there. Um, yeah. So I imagine it is now as well. There's a lot of uh, a lot of thought into, okay, what does this component cost us to include, right. what cost us to produce uh, separately from what do we include in a uh, specific thing? I know some of the stuff that comes out like um, beginner boxes. There is right. just a whole lot of weight and back and forth and what tokens go in there, what stands go in there as far as the bases for the pawns that are in there yeah. versus, you know, the booklets versus on. And so that has to be multiplied to a, a much bigger degree when you're talking about here is a multi-part adventure and we're putting yeah. it all together into one big thing. And how is that going to work? Um, yeah, the, me- the mechanics of getting making that happen are probably yeah. uh, very daunting. And I might be an outlier in in my willingness to to, to have the convenience <laughs> and, and give it to me to all at once. Yes. Well, yeah, because the things that you want are something are going to be slightly different than whatever somebody else right. wants, even when they want to. Th- like somebody might be, look, I don't even care if you give me the adventure. I don't care if I get a hard copy of the adventure. I want it all digitally because that's how I use it, and right. I want a digital set of maps. And I want to. And I think the right answer is give it in as many options as you can so that people who want to sort of piece it out to exactly how they want it can get it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But that does, it puts a little bit of labor on, you know, people like you and I who are want to want to just go out and get everything I need to run a thing and be done. So. Right. Right. And I'm fortunate 
in that um, I have a lot of stuff get donated to me by various people. So um, I literally have five boxes in my garage, which has like all the pawns that I don't have for Pathfinder second edition because I started collecting that late and including all the pawns for all the APs that were made and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, so now I got to go through that and it's my I, third I, set I, of five boxes to go through. <laughs> so um, my shelves will become even fuller. So. Well, and that's, and there are other people who have, Oh, how do I want to put it? They have just as they have just as much stuff without as much stuff. And what I mean yeah. by that is, there are people for whom, you know, GMs for whom. Look, the I got the core rulebook in the bestiary, and then a big box yeah. of miniatures I've had since the eighties. Right. right, that is literally all I'm going to need to run anything. So I'm just making it all up. You know, they've got yeah. you know robust. Uh, imaginations in order to be able to spin everything off based on the tools they have at hand. And they might even tell you, look, I don't need anything other than this. I haven't for years. And I'm just going to keep on sort of entertaining my friends with the same small set of stuff because, you know, we, we, we know what entertains us. And that's kind of, I mean, and that's sort of beautiful too. And then a big book with a bunch of box of extra stuff is not necessarily going to be very appealing for them either because it doesn't give them what they want or because they've got what they need. I enjoy the battle cards a lot, I will say. So that helps a lot. <laughs> yeah, th- uh, yeah, those are pretty handy. I think yeah. that the – I'm still trying to figure out a good way to do initiative at the top of a uh, DM screen. Right. Um, a right. lot of the GM screen, you know, it's easiest to just have everybody know what the initiative is. I almost, Like a whiteboard is kind of a good thing, you know, but that's getting up and down a lot. And it doesn't it give me all the information yeah. necessarily that I need. I don't know. I'm still kind of experimenting on, um, I I had my old, my old way of doing initiative that I've been using for, you know, years and years and years and years. And I've recently intentionally been kind of shaking that up in order Mm -hmm. to try to find something new and what kind of products create something new for doing something like that. And, you know, how might that work? Yeah, I've actually, um, I liked how you did that, um, in that last, uh, abomination vaults how you're doing them across the top. I don't like a GM screen. And so that's mm-hmm. why on Mondays, I'm just putting them in front of me. So right. I get the same thing where I can see and people can see, but I can see everything. So I don't like to feel right, closed without having in. to sort of look yeah. over the, uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. So, right. Well, Hey, this has been fun. It's too bad. We, uh, we didn't have Jason. I think he would have uh, contributed a lot, especially on the, on the Paizo side, but I don't know how much he actually could have, speculated um in that regard so well i wonder really you know maybe i'll ask next time jason how is it you track initiative in your games yeah you know pin him down on that that's yeah no that would be fun well i'm john and i'm ron and this is digital divination